0: Welcome to the Band of Brothers Cycling Podcast. In this series, we talk about the biggest races in cycling and how we prepare for them and give you some insight into the personalities within the team. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Tour de France Rest Day episode. Today, we're joined by Head Sports Director, Rolf Aldag, who's here to catch up with us about the second week of racing through France. So, Rolf, thanks for joining us yet again on the podcast.
1: Hello to all of you.
0: And as usual, Andreas Hartmann is also here, so welcome, Andreas.
2: Hello again, and hello, Steph. Hello to Franz,
1: Rolf.
0: So, Rolf, let's start off with a general recap of the second week of racing at the Tour. How would you rate the team's performance so far?
1: Well, the second week somehow feels like we are already four weeks on the road um, because of the heat, because of the circumstances, some long traveling and stuff like that. It's really like to recap, like it feels like half of the life um, that we lived so far. It's very intense. It's um, kind of the the, the um, yeah the weather conditions, the choose uh, the choice of the course that the uh, ASO took for for the week was uh, was pretty interesting. Um, let's get to then our team specifically. I think I think the guys absolutely tried everything, and uh, you know people. Do ask me a little bit, like, are we happy uh, with the results? Are we happy with the performance? And I think this is where we have to divide it here to say performance-wise, they're really good. Commitment-wise, they are 110%. And then in the car, um, you know, you just hope for them for so much uh, that to to get give them the results, to give them what they trained for, you know, all the hard work that they have done, and this is then, you know, the, the hard part to like, well, we didn't win. And I do think with the way they were riding, they absolutely de- de- deserve a victory.
2: Um, the second week started uh, pretty well with a great attempt from Lenny. How did you experience the situation missing the yellow jersey by just 11 seconds?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, uh, Lenny's, Lenny's miss out on the yellow jersey was pretty much a roller coaster because you know, being that far down in, um, in the general classification, you not really, really go with the idea, let's go for yellow. You go for like, let's get into the breakaway step one, because only out of the breakaway we think you can win that stage. That's step two. So let's go in there. Let's try to win that stage and whatever comes, comes then. Because remember the days before you was still defending the yellow jersey where they could have given it away. Um, already on uh, Ploche de Belfi, literally Lenny could also you know, get away with it and it looked like they were pretty hungry on um, you know, on everything. And then the situation changed, um, that they gave that breakaway a pretty big gap and then it was still difficult because he was in the yellow, he was out of the yellow, he was in the yellow, out of the yellow. So it's a very hard call. Um, what is the main focus now? Uh, does it remain the stage win? Or is it shifting to the yellow jersey and uh, and definitely um <clears throat> at the end of the day none of it happened, which was a, a tough one for us as a team and we felt really, really sorry for Lenny. And uh, and then there's these open questions, what would we do and should we do if we can reverse? Uh, you know, forced forward back, uh, faster <laughs> backwards and then, you know, think we would do the same thing or would we do it different? But then you come back to the to, to the point to say it's just that statement was was hard to hard to fulfill because Lenny now in the meantime is so accepted in the bunch has such a reputation for finishing breakaways off with a victory that it just felt like you know they were riding against him of course they were riding against him in their own interest but that made the whole situation very very difficult and uh, and also hard to deal with because we really really wanted to have that happen for him
0: Then we had that epic mountain stage to the Col de Canon. So how did you see that one? And were you surprised about the early attack that we saw there?
1: Um, Well, that that stage was special uh, because that final climb was a little bit unknown. And you know, you see the profile, you see the percentage and you know that it will be tough, but there's no real relevance to it. You watched the movie from uh, 1986 from Ben Aignot and Greg LeMond, and then you think, but cycling changed so much so um you know how will that turn out so there was this uncertainty to to that stage we know Galibier, we know um telegraph so that's all something that we have already done in dauphine but yes indeed it was kind of like um unknown now that the jumbo really took it on that day i thought they would do it i think i had some discussion with the writers before some said like yeah i think they will wait for up i think you know they should try whenever they can try But they did it uh, and respect for that they did it very consequently um you know all in into the downhill of telegraph which i think actually was the greatest move because it was a free move um you know without really big efforts uh which made the the other guys chasing hard already Um, um laporte was waiting he was in the breakaway he was waiting then they just caught him back on that top he accelerated into the downhill and uh, and then there was a gap, so I think that was great. And then for a moment, it was really tricky for them because they could also lose everything because then Primus Rogrich explodes, so that could mean like you have this two leader strategy down to one, which makes it easier for Pogacar to cover. Uh, and that was exactly how they felt. I talked to Franz Marsen, the DS from Jumbo, um, two days after. And he said, we were really sweating in the car from you know very highs, from like yeah, the plan works to very lows to say, oh, now we completely messed it up for ourselves. And I think the unexpected part was uh, Pogacar fading then on the last climb. And uh, I think um, the biggest sign for me for that was how unexpected it was, it was, was like when Garen Thomas was still staying with him on his wheel, on his wheel, kind of like being confused what to do. And then he rides around him and he really looks at him kind of like, he really looks at him like, is that real? Is that, I mean, is that real that I can drop you now? And then he does, you know, right away from him. And I think none of the top performers did think that would happen. None of the audience, a fan, and none of the other teams did, uh, thought about it would happen. And it saves Jumbo's day because otherwise what would have happened, they put on the great show uh, with the outcome that they, you know, that they um, that they're easy to predict uh, because they only had Vingegaard left as a leader.
2: Yeah, there was definitely a big day of this Tour de France. Then, after leaving the Alps, the heat wave really kicked in, which was the tactical approach for the post-Alps stages. And uh, does the heat have an impact on tactics and tactical planning?
1: Well the heat has a big impact on let's say all the the team operations because it's just amazing you know how how the stuff in the morning creates the bottles and like I think that they can still move their fingers with dealing so much ice you know like kilos and kilos of ice uh, in around the bottles into the cars and, and in all the coolant boxes and stuff like that so it's a massive effort that you have to do to try to keep uh, the riders cool and, you know, thanks to our staff for for that great support. Because, you know, um, we don't have people just sitting around here anyway. And if, if you have really uh, extreme conditions, then they have to work even harder. And they, they've done it and they still do it. So, you know, big respect for that. That's one side. And then um, on the other side, it's a mental uh, impact that heat has on riders. You know, the body is is definitely overheating. But it's also that that mental thing. It always feels like you know you're right under you know, within the balloon, that you know closed balloon um, that does stress you, that, that makes you giving up, up easier. So I do think I said like you know it's, it's a little bit like whoever wants it more will be in the breakaway. It's not necessarily only about the legs. It's also whoever keeps on going, even if you are suffering, even if you know you think your head explodes and you just you know melt in the sun. And, and if you see, I think in every single day, if there was a breakaway, we were in, somehow present, sometimes chased down, sometimes, you know, not the legs to finish it off as a victory, but we were in. And then I think that shows the morale within the team.
0: And how specifically are you helping the riders through the heat? Are we doing different things to deal with the heat than we were, say, five or 10 years ago in cycling?
1: I'd still pretty much, um, you know, we have, uh, we have uh, ice vests for sure that you can cool people down. Usually you see them on the time trials and then we have, you know, ice socks. So, you know, just ice that they put under their jerseys just to cool down. So it melts and then the water runs uh, along the body and, and a lot of really, really um, cool, cold drinks. Um, By saying that, you have to be careful that you don't turn your stomach inside out because if it's, 40 degrees outside and you have a two degree cold drink or you know slash ice and you just swallow it really quickly and big amounts that can only uh, also create big stomach problems so it's still this balance like how much do you have to suffer because it's necessary and how much can you get relief from super cold you know ice socks ice bags and and cold drinks cold water so we have huge amounts of waters i think the guys prepare like 150 bottles each day um and you know eight riders so they're not all there for you know to drink them they are there to be poured over the head to just you know uh, get your jersey wet to get your bib shorts wet just to get a certain certain level of cooling but it does feel if you open the window it does feel here like somebody puts uh you know puts a hairdryer in your face
2: another day we definitely have to talk about is the stage two month where we had Lenny, Patrick and uh, Felix in the break and in a pretty promising position how did the race unfold from your perspective and of course we know the result but are you happy with how the boys rode on this day?
1: Yeah first you have to see how you know how the breakaway really um, happened and uh, it was full on racing I mean we had situations where in the car you really stretch your head and say what so, you know, breakaway with white jersey, Pogacar, and then Vingegaard bridging on his own. And then you think, okay, if, if it's about those guys, how ever would we make a breakaway? Would we make it into a breakaway? So it was all about like hanging on, hanging on. Your big names have been dropped already, you know, like just the scenery in the race car. Um, you have the race radio. That's your main source of information. And then, uh, you know, everybody who's dropped, who is relevant for the race will be announced. So, and he does it with a kind of like emotional um, level, a uh, different emotional level. So if it's, you know, a sprinter dropped, Jacobsen dropped, uh, Caleb Ewan dropped, it's kind of just reporting. But then he gets emotional when you have like bigger names, big names. And, and so, you know, he got more and more excited. And you think, that okay, probably they forget about some of our guys. They would not announce it, but you would not assume that we we're so massively present still in that first group. Because remember, we have health issues, you know, Lenny is not healthy. Um, and, you know, we were thinking, well, like, what do we really do with it? They make it a, a semi-rest day as much as you can make a rest day out of, a you know, a Hilly Totoflore stage. And then uh, there was this remaining probably 50 guys. So it was literally all GC guys. Plus they're they they really uh, important domestiques and not too much else left. But we still had the guys in there and uh, and then they turned that around into this uh, aggressive positive riding with uh, being present three guys in 22 that's first thing you this the best you can hope for and then yeah you know i marked all the names in my list and then you think like okay who is a real competitor out of this 22 and uh, what happened then is like i took three guys off the list that i thought like okay they don't have the legs to win here but that left 19 and that's really you know that shows the quality of that group. That you think that like, well, nineteen of these guys can win this stage on paper, because they are good enough and they can handle that that finish. That makes it tactically pretty difficult. And then um, when we established like that group of four in the front uh, with Felix, it was nice because Felix could uh, do the minimum in the front to uh, re- recover as good as he could, and the guys in the back. Um, had to do not have to chase they had uh, ef chasing and they had israel chasing and everybody who was not present had to chase but they could you know ride more defensive so you come to the last climb as fresh as you can certainly be uh, doing the lowest numbers of pull and the lowest number of riding in the wind but then we just have to accept that the best man won and we can analyze it like a million times which we did to say what else could we have done and you come to the point point, saying mm, not really a lot, because the guy out of that front group just rode away from, from us. So Felix just could not follow, tried absolutely everything, just could not follow. So we have to accept that, you know, Matthews was better. Then there was one guy from the second group bridging to Matthews with Betjol, and, and not Connie and not Lenny could follow. So we often have to ex- 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 you know, uh, respect that one. So best man won. And that's uh, that's the sport, and as clever as you try to be, sometimes you, on, especially on these finishes, there's just nothing you can do about And then I have to say, it's easy to cope with it because we tried everything, there was huge commitment, there was absolutely, you know, the, the, the morale in the team was high, the investment was huge. And then we got beaten by better bike riders, as simple as that.
0: So to talk about Alex for a bit, it looks as though he's been on his way to feeling better again. How would you describe his progression through this Tour de France and what do you think is possible for him in the third week still?
1: Yeah that's uh you know another case there you know we don't want to complain you want to uh, we don't want to like kind of like whine about like uh, how bad luck and this and that it's a tour and things happen but of course if we have seen him on that Roubaix stage where he was so good in control where he was really like in a position I say like, mm, he's one of the main competitors and then that crash and then that suffering and uh, what really makes him special is like the level, the level of suffering that he can cope with. Like the the you know like it's because normally we've seen him dropping on um, on the stage starting in Eglis. We've seen him dropping eight kilometers from the top of the climb, and he just did fight back with the help from from Lenny, and he only lost twenty seconds there. And the suffering on r g s where he was dropped ten kilometers from the finish, and still limited the losses. So. You know, you know the fighting spirit of Alex, and you know basically, like, really, like the level of suffering that he can do. So now, if he's on the normal shape, without an injury, without you know, like bad luck, then I'm pretty convinced he would be in the front. Now he's not. Now, what still makes it different and difficult for him is, like, in the bunch, he's still considered to be, you know, one of the absolute best rider in the Tour de France. So. He tried to go into a breakaway because one thing is for sure, we don't want to defend 11th overall in the sense of like we put the team uh, into the front and chase it. Um, so the only way to turn that around now to get him a better GC but also try to win a stage is ride offensively, ride aggressively. You'll go early, go into a breakaway, go on the second last climb and try to profit from this big fight about like, you know, yellow, Pogacar versus Vingega. And I think that's what we want to do, and it's definitely helpful if he feels better, if he is uh, back to fitness level, and uh, that makes us optimistic. I think that makes him pretty, you know, he's pretty positive. He has a really good attitude and high level of motivation, and I'm sure we want to try. But if the if the you know leading teams with Ineos, UAE, and Jumbo see him as a mega threat for GC and don't want to have him coming back and put the whole team on the front to chase him down... But then obviously it's going to be difficult for him, so um, we need to see what others do. We cannot dictate the outcome here on, um, on Alex's uh, you know, next couple of stages in the Pyrenees. In general,
2: we are already um, really active as a team, racing really active as a team. Um, we try, but until now we didn't succeed. What do you think is still missing to get a victory? Is it just that tiny bit of luck sometimes?
1: Yeah, but it would be it would also be a little bit disrespectful to the others to say like, well, you just got lucky, or we got unlucky. Um, I think you know, in the in the case of like, for example, when uh, when Bob Jungle won uh, that stage, you know, he soloed for sixty kilometers. We had uh, uh, Connie in that group, and I just you know, to be fair, I think he was just the best at that day, and uh, you know, that's what it is, and I think that's what you have to have to um, accept. You know, there has to be exactly to be beaten by somebody better. And not blame it on on bad luck or or anything like that. You know, some other stuff might be a little bit bad luck, but the the Tour de France is certainly that luck helps. Uh, bad luck does not help. Bad luck makes it impossible to win. But usually, it's as easy. The best out of that situation will win.
2: There's that daily meeting on the bus every every day before the stage. How do you, as a sports director, motivate the guys to keep going? I can imagine it's it's
1: not an easy job sometimes. it's not that hard to be fair because of that group that we have here. You know, rather like some of the guys I feel like I rather need to slow them down because if you see what Niels does, for example, you know, if if you try to push Niels here, well well what would he do? Attack in the neutral or something. You know, that's <laughs> that wouldn't really work out. So uh so uh, it's not it's not that difficult, and you know it's not really that uh, that you come into our bus and you feel like you know somebody died, um, that it's like a, an atmosphere like at a funeral or something. It's certainly not. Um, of course, you know, just imagine if if Lenny would have won that stage and Lenny would have taken yellow, then it would be complete party bus. You know, like I think you know our bus would shake, you know, would start shaking all the time. But they're not beaten down. They're far away from you know beaten down. Um, and the tour is not over, and I feel like the you know everybody gets tired. It's completely normal, but they're still trying, and uh, and then that's I think a very positive sign. And and also you know they they do it for themselves. Yeah, it's like you know they want to be successful sports person. We can support them, we cannot ride the bike for them, and we can you know help them with you know uh, with tactics, with course know how, with stuff like that. But ultimately, nice thing is like we have a super good of young, but still, you know, experienced uh, guys uh, that want to win bike races. And that makes the job not as difficult as it might, might appear.
0: Okay. So as you say, the spirit is still really good in the team, which hopefully means that we can still pull something off in the third week. So you've already said we're not looking to defend, for example, 11th place in the GC. Can you mention any of our specific goals for week three, not just for Alex, but for the others as well?
1: No, because our competitors will listen to our podcast and then they know our plans. Of course, I will not. <laughs> We're
0: always trying to get this information out of you guys. <laughs> I will not release our guys. strategy here <laughs> because I'm
1: pretty sure Christian Nieme will listen, you know, once we release it, uh, Jumbo will know our tet- uh, strategy.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's a keen listener of the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, seriously, uh, we, we keep on riding offensively. We keep on riding attacking. We want to be in breakaways. And we hope that the combination will be a combination that, that allows us you know, to score a stage victory. Scale, stage victory is uh, is uh, the biggest goal there. And, you know, for Alex, improving GC will be the result of hunting a stage. Because if he's hunting a stage, he will probably not wait for Wingega and, uh, and Bogacá to do the final sprint and, on come. On he will, you know, we have to go earlier, we have to try to attack and then try to aim for, for both. Um, improvement in GC and win for stages. So, you know, that is that is kind of like the general outline and remains a, that's general outline.
2: A bit more general on the race. Also, Wingigard had some setbacks this week now in, in losing team members. And uh, Pogacar looks strong again after his tough day. Do you expect a crazy move from him in the Pyrenees?
1: I think I expect moves from him. I don't think I expect crazy moves from him. But uh, you know, like even an early attack must not necessarily be a crazy move. I think he has to judge on the support Vingegaard has, and look in his face and make his decisions. You know, early attack can actually be uh, useful because you know Vingegaard crashes, and it wasn't today's fault. So you know he shouldn't feel guilty about it. But that's what it is right now. So. Maybe Vingegaard needs more time to get into the rhythm from you know the injuries to get into the racing. So maybe attacking earlier does hurt him more than once he's back on his bike feels as one unit with his bike. I don't know, but that's something today we'll have to look into to see well, what is the best possible situation. I think for the race itself, it gives bigger chances for breakaways to succeed because both teams are limited in numbers and both teams I think have to cut back a little bit on their goals so you know they can't go in anymore to say we want to win every stage and we want to win green and we want to win yellow and we want to win white they might have to compromise to say you know what we don't care who wins that stage today because we have to try to win the Tour de France which might open the race a bit more
2: which role could Ineos play
1: yeah, right now it looks like they have three super strong guys, but none of them is capable on on attacking and riding away for them, so it's, you know, it's uh, I think for them it's really not easy. They probably hope for a mistake from the two others um that they can live with. And if they throw everything in, well then what would be the strategy to say, oh, you know, what Pitcock has to attack early and Adam Yates has to attack on the second last climb. Usually that always turns out to be like, you know, bravery, but not successful. Um Because uh, let's say the key helpers from UAE and the key helpers from uh, from um, Jumbo are so strong still that they can limit losses and probably let the guys die out there and then catch them back and kind of like drop them. I mean, we remember there was an RTS stage with... Uh, with Kreuzweik, who did something like brave, long attack, rode away, and then they had him dying out there, they caught him at three to go, and then they dropped him, he lost another two minutes. That's unfortunately many times, you know, the consequence if you, if you do go all in and do a, a very, very risky strategy. So I think in Neos, what do they have right now? You know, pretty much a secured third spot with a time trial that's still coming up. Um, potentially, if somebody fades the second spot, Winning the tour, possible, but not easy. What else do they have? Um, you know, stage wins, spectacular stage win on Alpe And I do think they aim for the for the team classification. So if they do that, because that gives them, you know, uh, a very emotional but also prestigeful picture on Chaux-Élysées with the whole full team or, you know, with the Arc de Triomphe in the background. So podium, stage wins, Team GC is probably something they can accept. Knowing that winning is mission, I wouldn't say impossible, but hard to do.
2: Back to us, back to our team. You are a mastermind, and I'm pretty sure you already have a plan. Uh, On which stages would you see our best
1: chances? Without telling too much again? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, tomorrow is a stage where the breakaway can survive it's just not easy to engineer that we do have the right people in because you know it doesn't really start where the legs will decide the breakaway it's more like the the you know a little bit of like well who does what and what do they hours defines a breakaway and i still believe the best choice right now is going from day to day because if we now say like you know what we only focus on stage 18 and there are opportunities on stage sixteen and 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 uh, seventeen it would be it would be a little bit of a pity. So let's go day by day, keep the motivation high, keep the morale high, and uh, you know like target every race now like a one day race, and then we get the best out of it till paris.
0: and one very last question so it looks like in this year's tour the racing is even harder than in previous years with things like early attacks surprising moves, and every day pretty much full gas racing. Do you agree with this or how have you perceived the level of racing to have been at the Tour this year?
1: Yeah, it's, it's always hard to judge from the car because honestly, you know, in our forts we have a, a air conditioning and it's never warmer than 18 degrees and you don't really feel the difference in driving 50 or 55 or 48 kilometers an hour. So, you know, like uh, I think on um, this is really, really important to include our, you know, scientists, our coaches, uh, the medical department to get feedback there how hard it really is you see the faces you see you know how sweaty they are you see tiredness you see all of that but ultimately really to be fair you know like if we with our so little bit of overweight in the car having a proper sandwich and cold drinks are probably the wrong person to judge how hard it really is i mean like let's leave it to scientists based on numbers and to the riders based on feeling but from the outside it looks pretty tough
0: Okay, excellent. So thanks very much for joining us to give once again your insights from the tour and uh, all the best for the third week.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck and all the best.
0: And as always, thanks to our listeners for joining us for this special Tour de France episode of the Band of Brothers podcast. Be sure to join us for the next one. Until then.